actually grew up in a working class family. My parents migrated here from Mexico in the late 1970s separately. They actually met in ESL class here in San Francisco. And, you know, I remember this story that my mom shares with me often about having to apply for food stamps. And my dad actually ripped them up when he got them and, and my mom tells me the story like she talked to my dad and said oh where are the food stamps did you pick them up and he says oh no you know they didn't want to give them to me and then later on she finds them you know in the garbage can ripped up so my whole life my example has been them right so really hardworking, you know this really strong belief in honesty and integrity and humility and education being the most important thing right college not being an option but being mandatory That's Veronica Garcia, and she's got the classic immigrant story. The Chinese tell it, the Mexicans know it, the Indians, the Vietnamese, the Iraqis have lived it. It's a tale that starts with parents who move to America and keep their heads down, noses to the grindstone, so you and your siblings can go to school, graduate from Harvard or Yale, and reap the rewards of all of their sacrifice and hard work. Because you are the next generation, an identity so loaded that we are devoting an entire episode to it. This is Sample Space by Hero Media. I'm Diana Wong, and today we are talking about the next generation. What is it? Who gets to define it? And how do we know if we're doing it right? Veronica has asked herself these very questions. Her dad didn't finish elementary school and spent most of his adult life working as a dishwasher. Veronica's mom dropped out of college to help make ends meet. Which meant, all in all, that they had pretty high expectations of what their daughter would achieve, given all of their sacrifices. And they made sure she knew it, in particular, her mom. You know, my mom was always really involved in the community when I was growing up. And so she was a parent organizer in the Portola district. Um, She was a parent translator. She volunteered at my elementary school in the cafeteria and as a yard monitor and was also a Girl Scout leader. You know, she was really, really, really involved. And so since a very young age, I learned that that was my job and that was my role to be involved and and aware and support the lives of other people, whether I knew them or not. And I didn't get that at that age, right? I didn't understand that growing up because I was so embarrassed to have my mom everywhere. And I was so annoyed that she'd give my friends citations and they'd have to go to detention and everybody knew my mom. And so I could never get away with anything. And so that was really tough growing up. Veronica's parents were strict and their expectations high. But what exactly did they expect? They expected us to go to college. They expected us to do everything that they didn't get to do. They expected us to be everything that they they weren't able to be or they didn't have the access and opportunity to be, you know, as immigrants. And, you know, they really demanded the best from us. More specifically, I would say they expected us to come home with 4.0s. They expected us to have all A's. They expected us to go to college straight out of high school, just being able to accomplish everything that they couldn't. So you've got a lot of expectations that come with being a first-gen American and achieving all that your parents didn't get a chance to do. But when you combine that with a teenager who resents all of this, the rules, the strictness, the expectations, you get, well, something unexpected. She was born during the summer, and I turned 17 a couple months after her birthday, and so I was 17 with a two-month-old. And this was the ultimate offense to the first-generation dream. A child, born out of wedlock, 
before even finishing high school. And Veronica knew it. She knew how much disappointment and shame her being pregnant would bring her family. It was really hard. You know, I think the most difficult thing was having to tell my parents and knowing that they were going to be really disappointed in me, knowing that they were going to probably give me the scolding of a lifetime, knowing the amount of shame that I was going to have them go through in the community, even in the faith-based community, because we went to church regularly. You know, again, my mom was really active and involved in the community, and so being very aware of the things that were going to be said about her and about her parenting and, you know, just also not being sure what was going to happen to me while I was pregnant and after I had my daughter. And are they going to kick me out? Are they going to disown me? Are they not going to want to be a part of my daughter's life? And so being really terrified of the unknown. And I think I was more consumed with that than I was consumed with actually being a parent. When I was 17, you know, I didn't I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea what to expect. And I didn't have that as an example, right? My parents had been together and I grew up in a dual parent household. I didn't know what it was like to be a single parent and so or, or even what that looked like. And so I remember coming home after school and telling my dad, like, wow, dad, like being a parent is really hard, you know, and I, I just didn't know. And he's like, you didn't know, like you didn't expect it. How could you not know? Veronica had messed up. There was a path to redemption. She could marry her baby's father and be a real and complete family, albeit a little young. I think that they had this expectation that I would stay with my daughter's dad and that maybe I would get married and and have what they had, what they continued to have. And that just wasn't my reality. And so I feel like even for them as immigrants in this country and having children here that are first generation I'm sure that they expected more of me in terms of not only going to college straight out of high school, but also if I was going to have a baby like I did, then to marry the father. And I think that that is definitely something that has probably been disappointing to them is, you know, by 20, I had two kids and I was a single mom. And even with my second daughter's dad, I'm sure that they expected me to stay with him. I was engaged to him. And so I'm sure that they expected that to even go the traditional route, even though it was still non-traditional. It felt like Veronica had ruined everything. She had dashed the hopes of her hardworking parents as a single teen mom. And the guilt really ate at her. I get that. You think about all they sacrificed and gave up to get you here, and you want to pay them back. Give back all that they sacrificed for you. My parents have given so much and sacrificed so much so that I can have the life that I have and I can have the access and opportunities that they never had. And I can't even imagine, because of the privileges that I've had growing up and and even being born in this country, I can't imagine what it's like to leave everything behind and pursue the American dream. I can't imagine my mom, she lost her parents when she was really young. She must have been maybe seven when her mom passed away and then 11 or 12 when her dad died. And so she didn't have her parents growing up and she migrated to this country with nothing and left everything behind in pursuit of a better life. And my dad did the same. He is one of 15 children that my grandma had and the only one that ever left Mexico to migrate to the States. And I can't imagine what that must feel like to leave everything behind. And so I'm very aware of the sacrifices that they've made in order for me to have the life that I have. And I feel guilty 
about not living up to their expectations of being a college graduate straight out of high school, of being a homeowner, of having a traditional family. I I feel very guilty about that. And so Veronica tries to redeem herself through the new next generation. She sets out to make her kids the best damn kids there ever were. Make sure they go to college straight out of high school. Make sure they have great grades. Make sure they are held to the highest of second generation standards. Similar to my parents, I demand a lot of my children. And I realize that when people say, I'm not going to raise my children the way that my parents raised me and all these things, it's like, that's totally not true. Subconsciously or consciously, it can be really hard to not parent in the way that I was parented. Hey, Diana here. I think this is a good time to give some context as to how I met Veronica. The week before, Trump had just been inaugurated in front of the biggest crowd ever. There were reports of ICE raids in New York, communiques about deportations, and it really did feel like the world, or at least America, was falling to shit. It felt like we were becoming a police state. And it was with this sentiment of fear and uncertainty that the annual Latinas in Leadership Conference at the University of San Francisco was held. And where I met Veronica. She was speaking on a panel discussing government and nonprofit leadership, based on her job with the city's Human Rights Commission. But really, I wanted to talk to her because during the panel, she mentioned how she was raising her two daughters to be woke women of color. When she said this, I looked up in surprise. As someone who doesn't have kids, I hadn't considered how terrifying it would be to raise children, brown children, in these times and in this space. My first instinct was to hide these daughters, to shield them from these realities, their realities. Her instinct was to arm them and I needed to understand what I was missing. Like I knew that inequities existed and I knew that inequality existed and I saw it and experienced it, but I didn't know it until I got much older and my level of consciousness really grew. And so I very much feel like it is my daughter's responsibility to walk through the world as conscious women of color. And I demand that of them and I expect that of them in addition to also knowing that college is not an option, it is mandatory. So, um, oh my gosh, it might have actually been around the time that I learned that Christopher Columbus was a rapist and a murderer, which was in my like mid-20s. And, you know, I had to make sure that I told my kids that he was a rapist and a murderer because I could not let them go their whole lives without knowing that. And I mean, I didn't, that's for sure. And so I felt that it was my responsibility to tell them that. And so I remember Belucas in third grade told me that her teacher was teaching on Christopher Columbus and similar to what I learned when I was growing up, that he discovered the world was round. And so obviously because I had told her that the truth, she raised her hand in class very high and said, isn't it true that Christopher Columbus was a rapist and a murderer? And her teacher said, I haven't heard that. I'll come back to that and just dismissed her. And honest to God, I remember her coming home and saying, mom, I wanted to argue with her. I wanted to interrupt her and tell her, you're lying, that's not true. (laughs) And so I remember feeling like if I could die that day, if I could just like never have another experience with my children growing up, you know, in terms of their level of consciousness, that I would be okay with that because this is who I was raising and this is the level of consciousness that I was developing. So as Veronica has grown into her role, as a single mother to two young women, she has started to understand what the term 
the next generation really means. And this is how she explained it to me. I'll give you a very concrete example. Pelucas, she interviewed for a grant that her school just got or a club that they just started around trying to address some of the racial tension that they have in the school, some of the community divide. And so she went to this interview and as we were preparing for the interview, she's like kicking and screaming. And she's not literally physically kicking and screaming, but she's very much like, I don't want to do this, mom. I don't want to do this. And I'm like, but you have to do this. And so as we were leading up to her interview, I kept telling her, this is not about you. Like, this is bigger than you. I mean, you need to think about all of the kids at your school that are experiencing, you know, hostility, that are feeling uncomfortable, that don't feel like it's a safe space, that feel very segregated and discluded in a school that is supposed to be all about community. You need to be aware of that. And it's not about you. So really making sure that she knew that if they had the opportunity to get the grant, the kinds of activities that they could do, the kinds of community that they could build, the culture that they could create or even begin to create is bigger than her, is bigger than anyone in the group. And so just really wanting to make sure that she was aware of the fact that it was beyond her, you know? And I feel that I try as a parent, as a mom, you know, to do my best to explain to my kids that that their life in general may be harder because they're women of color, because they come from a different socioeconomic status than a lot of their friends, that they are not growing up in a dual parent household with a dual income. And I, I don't share those things with them to put that burden on them, but more so so they're aware of why it's important for them to succeed, why it's important for them to know that when they succeed, their family succeeds, their community succeeds, and their accomplishments will allow them to help others in ways that they can't even imagine yet. Listening to Veronica, I realize that when I think of this idea of the next generation, I think about all that my parents have sacrificed and what I need to do to pay them back, to give back, to prove to them that it was all worthwhile. Which is why my instinct was to protect, to shield these girls from this very scary world. Because if they were hurt, then all of it would have been for nothing. But what Veronica has figured out is that this idea of the next generation is much more about paying forward than paying back. It is about cultivating daughters and sons, a generation who give back by working for the future, for their next generation. It is very much being aware that there is always going to be a generation after us. There is always going to be people that have come before us that have made sacrifices so that we can have the opportunities that we have. And I say that as a woman of color, I say that as a first generation American, you know, being very aware of the giant shoulders that I stand on and being really aware of the responsibility that I have as a mother and as a community member and as an activist and as someone who is conscious to make sure to raise the next generation, my children, to be exactly that conscious and involved and engaged and then also expecting them to do that with their children if and when they have them. Special thanks go to Veronica Garcia, Ria Descopta, Mary J. Wardell Giridesi, and the Diversity Engagement and Community Outreach Office of the University of San Francisco.
Music by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech and The Who. I'm Diana Wong. This is Sample Space by Hear Media. And you can subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And finally, thanks to our co-producer, Johnson Fung, who, when I told him we don't get Columbus Day off, you know, because it's inappropriate, just started ranting. Like, I knew that inequities existed and I knew that inequality existed. <laughs>